Good morning. You all doing good? Good. I'm excited to be up here. I, was, I woke up in a good mood today. Um, I have to tell this story, though, before we get into the message. I feel like I always have to start with a story about my kids. Someone told me last time I preached that I could have my own mom comedian show, which I feel like is true. Like, with four kids and three boys, like, our life is crazy, and I have stories to tell for the rest of forever. But yesterday, driving to church, the highlight of our kids' lives over summer has been this Kona ice truck. Like we have, I've spent thousands on them this summer. Like we've done activities, we took time off, like we've done all sorts of stuff. And that wasn't the exciting thing. It's this free Kona ice truck at church. So driving yesterday, they were like counting which flavors they were gonna get and how many flavors I was gonna allow them to get because they know I'm not really a very fun mom and I usually allow one flavor that has no color to it. But you know what, it's summertime, YOLO, right? So I was like, go for it. Yeah, you can have anything you want, and your dad can take care of you after. So Ezra, our oldest, and Milo, our second, eight and six, they're like talking about all the different flavors that they know about. And as I don't know how they know the flavors of Kona ice truck. Like, I'm not, we don't live in Hawaii. We don't go to a Kona ice truck all the time, but they have every flavor memorized. And yesterday, Ezra, our eight-year-old, was like, Milo, I'm totally going to get tiger's blood. And I was like, why do you know what flavor that is? And he goes, you want to know why I'm going to get tiger's blood? And Milo goes, yeah, why? He goes, because it's the most savage flavor of all. <laughs> and I was like, huh, you've been spending a lot of time at sports camps this summer, just a lot of time away from us and with other boys your age. And I was like, okay. And sure enough, last night he did get tiger's blood. And then everybody, I didn't tell him I had told this story. And he was like, mom, everyone's saying tiger's blood is savage. And I was like, imagine that. So if you see him out there, he's wearing a, you will know it's my son because he's always in sports gear. Always, without fail. This is our fight of the day is can he wear something with Colorado sports on it? So he's wearing a CU hat right now. And when you see him out there eating his tiger's blood, you should be like savage, right? And he's just going to be thrilled that you know that tiger's blood is savage. We are in a series right now over the summer called Flawed Heroes. And uh, today I want to speak on Gideon. And this is probably someone you know about, right? Or at least you've heard the name of, but I don't think Gideon gets enough attention or enough praise. Like the story of Gideon, this man who defeats this huge Midianite army with only 300 men. It's this, I was thinking about it, it's probably the best war story of all time. Like literally of all time, that 300 men defeat this 135,000 thousand man army. Like what an amazing feat that that is, but it's all glory to God in it, right? Like it's all because of God. So let's take a step back and I want to give a little recap. And then I think there's some lessons that we can pull out of the story and out of the life of Gideon. So Israel is in the season of judges, right? And they've gone through their ups and downs because it's Israel, and they cannot seem to get it together, can they? Like Israel just really struggles with just like the simple thing of follow God, don't build other altars. And they're like, yeah, got it, got it. Wait, what was that? And they're building altars again, right? Like they're back to building the altars to other gods. And he's like, that's not what I said. And so he, they've done evil in the sight of the Lord and he's handed them over to these Midianites. And the Midianites have come through Israel and they ravaged the land over and over and over again. So much so that they're living in caves at this point. Like they're, it's like, it's pointless to even set up a home. You imagine living like that, right? Like you can't even get comfortable. Every time you reap from what you've sown, someone's coming in to steal it. Every single time. This is how the Israelites are living for seven years. And then finally, they call, they decide, yeah, well, maybe, maybe this isn't the best way to live. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this. And they call and cry out to God. And he answers them, and he sends Gideon to save the day. And he goes through all these different things. And I think the flaw, if I were to point out, what you, this is the series, right? Flawed heroes. And I think Gideon's greatest flaw is he's hiding when God has called him out. Right? When we find Gideon, he's hiding, and this man was meant to stand out. This man was meant to be a leader. He was meant to be calling out things. He was meant to be a fighter. And the first place we find him is he's hiding in his father's wine cellar. And yet even in that, right, God sees him for who he is. And he says, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. 
go and defeat the army. So he goes and he gets together this army and God goes, yeah, that's too many people. The 32,000, <laughs> that's too many, right? And so God's like, cut it back. So then it goes down to 22,000 and it gets all the way down to 300 men. And he ends up getting this incredible victory over the army. And yet, even at the end, and I want to get to this at the end of our message, like he still falls prey to, I think, something that we as humans do as well. And so I think there's four lessons that we can learn from Gideon and in his life and in this story. And the first one is this. God uses tough times to grab our attention. God uses tough times. And that sucks, right? Like that's not really what we want to hear. That isn't the thing that we want to believe. Like I would love it if it was God uses really great times to grab my attention. But when we're comfortable, it's really hard to move. Right? It's like the longer you've sat on the couch, this is, this is the issue. JJ like leaves for work and I'm like, see ya. And then I sit down. And if I sit there longer than 30 minutes, like I'm there. Like we're, like we're settled in for the day. We're not leaving the house, right? It's like, it's comfort time. And I think it's really easy in human, in our humanness to get comfortable and to not want to move. But in that, I think it's really easy to fall into the traps of the enemy in our comfort. I think the thing, the greatest thing that keeps us from greatness, from the great things that God has for us, is from the good. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, it's not the bad. Like, when we're in a bad time and when we're in a hard season, it's really easy to be like, get me out of the season, right? Like, I'll do whatever it takes. But when it's good and God's saying, hey, it's time for great. Oh, that's a risk. Like, do I want to do what it has? Do I want to do what it takes to get to the great? And so I think God, a lot of times, uses tough situations to grab our attention, to make us pay attention to something he wants to teach us. So Judges 6, 1 through 6 says this, The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. I think there's two interesting things about this, right? First of all, this is not a people who do not know God. Right? Like we read this and we're like, oh, the Israelites didn't do what was good and God was a distant guy and they weren't aware of God. No, these are people who have walked with the Lord and have chosen to turn away from him. These are people who have turned their backs on their loving father. In the same way, I was thinking, of course this would make God mad, right? Because as a parent who has given my entire life, I have sacrificed everything I have for my kids and I gladly do it every day. This is not a burden. This is like, this is my greatest gift in life is to give my children the best life I can. And I spend every day trying to do that. But imagine if one day one of them came to me and said, hey, I wanna give up all that you've done and trade you in for something else, something less. You don't mean a lot to me. So I'm going to go and I'm going to call these people my parents from now on. Like the hurt. But you know what? If they wanted to do that, I'd go, fine. Go figure it out yourself. You think that they can handle you better? You think that they can love you better? Fine. Right? And this is, I think, God's approach. It's not that he's like waiting around the corner trying to get the Israelites. It's that he goes, fine, you have free will. You don't want to live in my house. You don't want to live by my rules. Okay. Go, but I, I, I release you from my protection as well. And that's what happens right here. They choose something else and they walk out of the protection that the Lord has given them along the way. And so then it says this, And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. They are no longer living in houses. They are no longer comfortable, right? These are an uncomfortable people put in a hard situation. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the, um, 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 guys, I struggled with this last night. 
Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number, both they and their camels that could not be counted. So they laid waste with the land, and they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. These are a people who were once highly favored, right? These are people who have escaped Egypt, who have watched the sea part, who have watched the miracles of Moses, who have seen what Joshua did when he came down and tore out the enemies in this land. These are people who had once been highly favored living in God's ways and they chose something else and now they are low they have been discouraged and everything has been stolen from them and the people of Israel so right so the first sentence we get in this scripture is the people of Israel did what was evil and God goes fine I'll hand you over to the Midianites and then this last scripture for seven years okay for seven years and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord Isn't it interesting how long it takes for them to finally call out to God? Like they're in this season of struggle. They're in this season of toil. And they are like, you know, I think sometimes when we're in a hard season or where we're in a struggle, I think we just think it's going to get better, right? Like I don't need to ask you for help. I'll just wait it out. I'll just ride the wave. But it's so bad. They can't even live in homes because they're afraid they're going to come and get knocked down and get destroyed. But I think in this, like, we have to recognize there's a step and God wants to meet you in your pain. God's waiting for you where you're at, waiting for you to cry out. Because I, the second that the Israelites cry out to God, he meets them and answers their prayer. But I think here's what we have to recognize is that we can't skip the pain, right? We want to just move through it and we want to just get past it. But church, like, hear me right now. If you do not learn the lesson he has for you in the season you're in, you will not be prepared for the next season that he has. You will not be prepared He has something for you now. And yes, he he wants to get you to the great. He wants to move you forward. But if you do not learn the thing he has for you in this season, the place he's put you in for right now, you will not be prepared. And it's his loving kindness that he prepares us for the next thing. JJ and I have friends, and I'm just going to be really honest. There's a lot of people who spend their entire lives seeking happiness as the most important thing that is in this life. And if your main goal of life is seeking happiness, you are missing out on so much that God has for you. I think we correlate happiness with going in the right direction, with being in the right place. But church, there is sometimes pain and it doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. So we have these friends and they, they're Christians and they're awesome. They've been married for a really long time and God had asked them to do this thing, this really scary and this really big thing. And so they're like, yes, and they're so excited about it, right? But their assumption was because God had asked them to do it, it was gonna be easy. And they found themselves and are in right now the hardest season that they have ever experienced. And in that season, maybe that's you today. Can you hear me as your pastor? You have a choice to make. Because right now, they're on the brink of divorce. Because they thought, God, you told us to do this, and they're mad at God right now. Because they had an expectation, God, you should have made this easy and happy for us. And it's not like, hear my heart, God's not like wanting you to be unhappy. That's not it. But sometimes we need to be stretched. And sometimes life is going to be painful. And every opportunity is a choice to make. Are you going to lean in and closer to your father or are you going to pull away from him? 
And we see this with the Israelites. It takes them seven years. Why? I think maybe part of it's they're angry, right? They're, they're my friends. They're angry. Because that's the other part of this. This like, thing that's breaking my heart is they're now, they're just, they're like, God, your disappointment. <sighs> oh. I think the thing is, in hard times, maybe it really reveals where our faith is at. I was listening to this, um, this message, and this is so good, that, that whole thing with Peter, right? And he jumps out of the boat, and Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. If you look up that word, that little, it's not in size, it's in length. And Jesus is telling Peter right there, oh, you have little faith, like your duration of faith was so short, like, hear what I'm saying. Like, God isn't saying, oh, because, right, because the Bible tells us if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. <sighs> but it fails to tell us in that moment, and this is what Jesus tells Peter, but that faith better last longer than a moment. Like, you want to move mountains? You better be willing to endure that time. No, truly, like, hear what I'm saying. Like, you want to see the unbelievable happen in the church? Like, you want to see God break through in our nation, God break through in our community? And you're like, I have huge faith, and I believe God can do the impossible. And it only lasts two weeks. It only lasts a year. That's not the faith God is calling us to have. And what happens in hard times is God stretches and allows us to learn how to endure in our faith. We must have enduring faith, not big, tall faith, enduring faith. This is what causes people to pull away. This is right. Like you can look at people in your life and go, wow, that person at one time was so on fire the Lord. They had so much faith. They didn't have enduring faith. And Jesus is telling Peter in that moment, this isn't going to get you very far. Yes, you believed you could walk on water, but you stopped believing. We must learn to be people who continue to believe God, even in the hardships, even in the hard times. We must be people who go, all right, when I call on your name, I know you'll answer me. But I will hold on to that until you answer me. Because maybe he will not answer you on that day or in that minute, but it does not mean he will not answer you. Let us be people of enduring faith. Paul tells us, fight the good fight. To be a good fighter, you must have good endurance. C.S. Lewis tells us this, God whispers in our pleasures. Isn't that so true? Right? Right? I feel like in the best seasons of my life, God and I are like just quietly close. He speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. He shouts in our pains, church. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. We must be willing to endure the pain to get to the thing he has for us. Don't lose your faith. Because you can see with the Israelites, right? They lose their faith in God and look at where it gets them. Not very far. The second thing is this, God uses the least likely of heroes. All right, we finally get to this guy, this Gideon. Judges 6, 11 through 18. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abirzite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. This is a really messy, awful thing that he's doing, and he's doing it in very confined close quarters. Like, this is not where you should be beating the wheat, okay? This is not where you should be threshing. This is not the place. It should be done outside in the open. And the first thing we see that Gideon is doing, the first place we hear his name, he's hiding away from the people. It's interesting because I think like we can be these people that are so bold and so brave, but if you've been through enough life, right, it's not that you've lost your faith in God, but it's really, really easy to begin to hide, to begin to step back and go, you take it from here. I'll watch others go on from here. 
I love you, Lord, but it's a private thing between you and me. That's not supposed to be how your faith is lived out. It's not. We're not meant to be hidden. We're meant to be cities on hills shining bright. Right? And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of I love this because God doesn't take who he is in the moment and what he's doing. No, he sees him for who he really is and what he was really created for. That's what God does when he comes and speaks to us. He doesn't come. Like, I think part of the hiding is, I don't want to hear God's judgment. But God comes and says, Gideon, you are highly favored. You are mighty. You are a mighty man of valor. And I'm calling you out today. This is what I tell my boys, my three boys. I call them my mighty men of valor. And they take that as destroy my mom's house. (laughs) You're laughing because you have boys, right? Like, you know, the amount of times I've had to say, don't throw that football in the house. It will break things. This is a constant conversation that we have. And Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I love that this is the response because it's, this is how you know the Bible is real. It's the most human response that he could have given. God comes, sends an angel to him, compliments him, calls him out, and immediately Gideon's response is, where have you been? Like so quickly forgetting his own sin because there is sin in his own life. There's a Baal shrine and an Asherah pole in his father's house. They probably can see it from where they're standing having this conversation. And he's pointing his finger going, where have you been? Isn't that human nature, right? Like we have forgotten the sin that put us in the place that we're in. We've forgotten the steps that we took to put us in our position. And then we quickly, God comes to comfort us or comes to say, hey, it's time for something new. And we're like, where have you been? But the Lord lets him question like this. It's like this beautiful relationship that he allows us to have because he sees us in our imperfections. He's like, yeah, you're stupid, but I'll let you go there. (laughs) Right? It's like my daughter, I have, (laughs) you know, kids sometimes just really humble you. There's really, I have kindly bought like fun toothpastes for my kids. So the boys have their own set, and Ivy gets this, like, princess pink toothpaste. And I was like, oh, she's going to love this. And so we're, like, getting in. She's like, what flavor is this? Because it's a new toothpaste for the week. And I was like, it's bubblegum. She goes, Ugh, you don't have to buy me bubblegum again. You already bought me the bubblegum flavor before. And I was like, <laughs> fine, Ivy. This is last night. After, like, I've gotten her ready, and she had the cone of ice and is letting me know that the expensive Princess, bubblegum toothpaste isn't enough. And yet this is what we do with God, right? Like we complain about the bubblegum toothpaste he got us. It sounds so stupid, but really like God has to be laughing sometimes like, okay. How trivial is this? You've missed the entire picture of all that I've done for you. And the Lord turned to him and said, this is his response. I love it. Go in this might of yours, right? Like, you think you're so great? Okay, go. I'm not stopping you. You're the one hiding out. Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the land of Midian. Do not, I send you. I love this. This is like one of my favorite parts of the entire Bible. Because Gideon comes to him with a problem and says, you need to fix this. Why haven't you fixed this? And the Lord tells him, then you go. Have I not sent you? 
Church, like we're crying out for a revival, right? We're crying out maybe in, in your family or you're crying out for your neighborhood or you're crying out for this situation or you're crying out to God and asking him to change this or to do this or to, to be the miraculous God we know him to be. And I think a lot of times his answer is like, yeah, awesome, go. And then we go, oh, actually, never mind. I don't, I don't want to do that. It's funny, but it's true. Maybe the things we're lacking, the things we're seeing on TV, like, I, oh, I'm going to make some people upset. We spend so much time watching Fox News and critiquing what's happening in our country, and we're not outside telling people the good news of Jesus. I'm serious, right? Like we're spending so much time saying what's wrong with this nation? What's wrong with this world? How badly they need Jesus? How this young generation is so lost and so messed up. When was the last time you brought hope to them? Like Jesus is like, awesome, go. Awesome, go spread the good news that you have. Have I not sent you? When you accepted him, the day you found him, the day you met him, he sent you out. You became a son and a daughter of the living king. You have responsibilities now in his kingdom. And so Jesus says, have I not sent you? And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Which is valid, right? Like, God, who am I? Who am I to send me? And Gideon says, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. This family is nobody, right? They have no money. They have no stature. They have no influence. And not only that, but Gideon is the least in his father's house. I love this story because it shows us God uses nobodies. God uses nobodies. I've said this before, but if you would have met me as a child, I would have been a nobody. I was quiet. I was insecure. I was just laughing with my dad. We went on a vacation when I was like 12, and I wouldn't let them take any pictures of me. So there's this like whole family vacation, and it looks like I'm just not on it. Like I'm just literally not on the trip. Like they have one at the back of my head, and I started crying when I found out he had taken the photo. I was a no one. I didn't want this, but God goes, have I not sent you? And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And that's enough of an answer for all of us. But I will be with you. You are weak. It doesn't matter. I will be with you. You are insecure. It doesn't matter. I will be with you. You've messed up. You're a sinner. It doesn't matter. I will be with you. You're bad with your words. You get tongue-tied. It's okay. I will be with you. I will be with you. It is not for your glory anyway. But I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. I love that, right? Like it's not enough that an angel standing before you. It's, I need another sign just to be safe. Please do not depart from here until... I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. I love that gentleness of the Lord. I think it's okay to ask God, is this really you? Like we're afraid of the answer. Church, if it's not really him, it's good to not waste your time. Even in Gideon's fearful and pathetic state, and it was fearful and it was pathetic, he's hiding out in a wine press. The Lord calls him a mighty man of valor. To our son Ezra, who is into savage uh, Kona ice flavors, he's eight and he is obsessed with football. Like he bleeds football. This is, I did not know about football until I had Ezra. Like, he loves, loves, loves football. He knows all the stats. He knows all the things. Like, I don't, he just, he, they just started their tackle football practices, and he has all of his plays memorized. They haven't 
started playing them yet, but he has them already down. So he got to go to a couple uh, Valor like sports camps, and one of them was for tackle football. And the first day he came home, I'm going to come down here so you can really just get a picture of my size. Someone told me one time that I looked bigger on stage, which makes sense because I'm on a platform. Uh, I'm five foot three. For those of you in the back who can't see me, hi. Uh, I don't offer a lot of genetic height to my children. Like, that's just not something they're going to get from me. And to be honest, not from their father either. Like, it's okay. We both know it. It's probably why he picked me, because I was smaller than him. Like, we just are not big people. So we knew going into children, like, we were just like, we're going to make them really funny to make up (laughs) for the height we won't give them. So Ezra um, hasn't realized yet, well, now he has. He had not realized that he was on the smaller side of life. Uh, So he went, and the first day of his camp, he came home, and he was like, Mom, someone was mean to me today, or a few of the kids. And I was like, where? Right? Like, I will get out there, and I will kill children today. (laughs) Where are they? And he goes, I'm like, what did they say to you? And he was like, well, they told me I was short. And I was like, I can't lie to you. I can't lie to you. And then he, he tells me, they told him that he, was, he weighed less than his pads and how on earth was he going to be able to keep them on? <laughs> hey, he was bummed about that. I was like, oh, no. I'm like, well, obviously that's not true, Ez. You can wear your pads. He's like, yeah, Okay. And so I'm praying and I'm asking God, because like this is, for an eight-year-old boy, like this is big deal stuff, right? Like this is not, uh, I'll just roll with it. Like he's devastated. Like he's crying about being on the smaller side of the football kids. And I told him, I was like, as you're like one of the youngest kids at the camp as well. Like this is third through fifth graders and he's a young third grader. So I'm like, that's what it is. It's not that you're small, you're just young. And he's like, that doesn't help. So I was, I... (laughs) I'm praying, and the Lord reminds me that I'm teaching on Gideon, right? And that Gideon's the least of his family. He's a nobody, just like King David. And so I go to Ez, and I'm like, Ez, do you know the story of King David? He goes, yeah, he's the guy who slayed Goliath. And I was like, that's not the story we're going to talk about. He's like, oh, okay. So I tell him, I go, do you know how he was picked? He's like, no. I go, he had all these older brothers and the prophet comes and the dad doesn't even think to call for David because he's on the smaller side of life as he's not as strong and he's not as tall as his brothers. And one by one, right? God's like, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. No, that's not it. And he's like, do you have any others? And he brings in David and he goes, that's it. Because God does not look at the physical appearance of who we are, at what we see and at what we see in others. We judge people so quickly on their personality or on where they came from or their background or what they look like or, or, right? We do this all the time, but God does not see that. And I tell my little Ezra, I go, you are a giant on the inside, son. You stand taller than everyone else because Ezra is, he's like just this, like, he's special. Like there's just something special about him. And I was like, I would rather have that any day than be the tall guy on the team. And he's eight and he told me, I would rather be tall. I would have loved to have been like, he like was like, yes, yes. No, he wanted to be tall. But here's the awesome thing. So the next day he comes, they were like, um, he was on a third grade team. And then at the end of every day, after they did like all their practices, they played these like football games against all the other, there was like 250 kids at this. So they're like playing all these teams. And like, he kept coming home and being like, we won, we won, we won. So the second day he comes home and he goes, I scored four touchdowns today. And I'm like, yes. Did anybody say anything to you? He goes, yeah, they were mean to me. So I have to just tell you this really quick. I was like, okay, what's did they say it today? And he's like, well, one of them said I was really good at football. And I was like, that's not bad as, and he's like, no, I know it's the second kid. He goes, you must be on steroids. He goes, that's so mean. 
And I was like, dude, that, like, that's a compliment. They were saying you're good. He goes, but it's a drug. I'm like, how do you know that's a drug? Like, where are you learning these things from? And I go, no, it's like, you're cool. Like, you're like really good at football. He goes, oh, okay. So the last day, like he, every day they keep winning. They're undefeated. And the last day they like, they finally versed the other team. Who's like this fifth grade team. And if you don't think there's a difference between third grade boys and fifth grade boys, like there's a very big difference. And the third graders crushed them. And Ezra is like up against this like massive kid, fifth grade. I'm not convinced he wasn't in seventh grade. We're going to go with that because Ezra is so cool in this story. And he stops him from getting a touchdown. And I was like, yes. And it caused, it let them win. They got the final point, right? And so he gets this like, I have to show you. I have to just brag on my kid. He gets this like super cool, like valorable championship. And he runs after it and he tells us, mom, the coach gave me an award for MVP of our team. <laughs> and I tell him, as stupid as that is, right? It's like eighth, third grade kids football. But he, ha- he finally, it clicked. Like, it doesn't matter on the outside. Like, I can do anything that God's called me to, right? The third thing is this. God uses our private life with him to develop our public one. Oh, and that's not really comfortable, is it? But it's true. God's going to use your private life to develop your public one. And so here's what happens with Gideon in Judges 6, 25 through 27. That night the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah pole that is beside it. So here's what he's saying right here. You want to go do great things? You want to represent me? You want to be the victory for Israel? You better take care of your stuff at home. You better pull down the idols and the sin that is in your own house before you go and you claim victory in my name. And I'm not trying, like, I don't want to be heavy-handed, but church, some of this, like, God has called us to be a holy nation for him. We cannot live in both worlds. We cannot be sinners and claim to follow Jesus. And so here's what happens. And build an altar to the Lord, your God, on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole that you shall cut down. I love this because he could have used other wood. But here's what God is telling him right here in this moment. Take your sin, take the thing that you have built up on your life and burn it at my altar. Burn it up. Do not leave it as a temptation for you to go back on. Do not leave it there thinking you are stronger than you are. You are not God. You will never be God. And when in a moment of weakness, you will fall back to that thing. That is all of us. So he says, deal with it right now, Gideon. Deal with it right now. Burn it up right now. Do not let your family go back to this. Do not let this sin continue forward in your life. You must take it down right now. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. And again, here's his humanness. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. God wants to do something great with Gideon and for Israel. But he, before he can do anything, Gideon needs to take care of his business. And I will tell you this. I think God is so gracious and so kind to us because I think a lot of times he lets us deal with sin privately. He lets us deal with it in a personal way. But if you do not deal with it, when he asks you to deal with it, and you step out in a public way, he will deal with it in a public way. Look at, there are so many famous pastors all over our world. Have you realized this lately? Like, God is, I feel like, in a season right now with the church that he was like, he goes, I will not stand for anything but holiness. 
and he is burning away the chafe right now. He is cutting it off and he is saying, I will not stand for this. And there are pastors, like it breaks my heart. It's not something, it's, it's weird to me that we like cheer this on in society and culture. Like, oh, look at this pastor who fell. No, like we should be so sad that one of our brothers in Christ has fallen. Someone who is doing the work of the Lord. But I guarantee you that they were given many times before the public fall to make it right. I do not doubt that for one second. That God had convicted and convicted and convicted and said, get it right, get it right, get it right, get it right. And they chose to ignore it. Thinking I can do both things. You cannot do both things. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot. And here's what getting, yes, like he's afraid. And it's okay to be afraid, right? But listen, here's what Gideon does and what he recognizes. And my prayer for you today is you recognize this. It, he, what happens is they're going to try to kill him. In fact, they do. And the only reason why he's spared is because his father comes in and steps in. But Gideon realizes it is better to live one more day as a righteous man than a thousand as a sinner. Even if your sin is exposed, even if it messes some things up, like church, it is better to live one day as a righteous man or a righteous woman. It is so much more worth it to be a person that lives righteously and is willing to do the things they are afraid to do. To be the person that God has called you to be. To live that fearlessness Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to repent and to change your ways. Don't be afraid to pull down that sin in your own life. And then the last thing is this. God uses his own power, not ours, to overcome. It is only because of him we get victory. It is only by his blood and his allowance of partnering with us. He does not need you. He does not need me. He allows it, but at the end of all of it, you are but a vessel to him. You are but a vessel for his glory. It's not yours to keep. Judges 7, 1 through 8 says this, then Jerubbabel, which means those who, he who contends with Baal. I love that, right? He's this guy now, like Baal has to contend with him. When we step out in the anointing and in the calling that God has on each one of us, this isn't just like pastors have this anointing. It is those who follow Christ. Now the darkness contends with you, not the other way around. And all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me saying, my own hand has saved me. Sometimes God makes us the underdog on purpose so that we cannot boast in ourselves because we would, because we would. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. They all should be trembling. 135,000 men versus 32,000. Those are not good odds. And God's like, yeah, that's too many people there. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone whom I say, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. I love that. Like that's the choice. Like that's the decision. Like anyone who's going to like drink like the crazy people, like, is that like Jesus is like, yeah, I want the crazy ones. 
Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, right? God's saying, set them aside. And the number of those who laughed, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who laughed, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. That's a lot of people. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And he set all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. God creates an absolutely impossible human situation in this moment. Like this is impossible, right? Can we agree on that? Like this isn't going to happen. I did the math for you. It's 450 Midianites for every one Israelite. Like that's not looking good there. But God goes, you're not going to be able to boast in this. You're not going to be able to retain the victory. This will not be a victory of the Israelites. This is a victory of the Lord. And I think part of why he does this is because what got them in this place in the first place? Why are they here? Because they turned away from the Lord. They thought they knew better. They thought they could do different. They didn't like how it was going. And God goes, let's humble you for a second and remind you who you really are and whose you really belong to. You are mine and you sit under me then. I reign. And the only victory you're going to get today is because of me. God is not looking to glorify you. God is not looking to bring you fame. God is not looking to make you great. God is looking to make himself great. To reveal his glory in his name. Isaiah 42.8 says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. He will not share with you, church. But I think it's one of the most freeing things in life is recognizing you don't have the control. It is not up to you. It allows you to breathe. It allows you to recognize there is something greater than you. There is something greater that you serve. And as I get to the end of this message, in the close of it, I was just asking the Lord, I think there's two things. The first one is, <laughs> I, was, I was on my way to church yesterday, and the Lord just really convicted me of asking this. It's just a call to repentance. I bet you thought you were coming to church today for a really happy message. But there's this song, and it just keeps going over in my mind over and over, and it says, burn me holy, burn me righteous, burn me new. And in the burning, like, yeah, it's painful. Oh, but the burning refines us to something so much greater than we were before. And somewhere along the way in church, I think it became this thing of being, a, like, we come to church because we're clean. No, you come to church because you're not. We come here to gather as one so that we can worship the only one who is. And there is no expectation that you should be here because you are just great. Maybe God had you come today so you could hear a message that would be convicting so that you could walk out of here church free. Amen. Conviction does not condemn us, conviction frees us. It frees us, it makes us lighter. So if you would close your eyes with me. I know it's uncomfortable, I know it feels like people are around you, I know it's a really bold thing having to ask this but God is looking for both people. So if you're in that place and you're like, gosh, I'm like Gideon and I got to take care of some business at home. I want to do things for you, Lord. I want to live this life for you, God. But there's some stuff I have not dealt with. And God is stirring right now in you. And you know the thing. I don't have to like give examples. You know the thing in your own life. But you want to be set free today from that thing. You want to burn up the Asherah pole. Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Literally all over this entire room. 
I thank you for your boldness, that want and that desire. I thank you for that. I see you, but even more than me, your father sees you and he rejoices in your willingness to be humble before him. So Father, right now, for every person who raised their hand, and church, maybe you didn't because you're too afraid and you're living in the shame of it. It's okay. It's okay. God still sees you. God still knows your heart. But right now, God, I pray. Like, I just saw this picture this week as I was preparing that these shackles were just falling off of people that your willingness to see the sin, that your willingness to, to run and tear down that bale that was in front of you, that thing you have built up in your life, that those chains right now in the name of Jesus would fall. Right now in the name of Jesus would fall. You are not held captive by your sin. Hear this right now. This was the word I had for you. His love is greater than any sin that you face. His love and his blood washes over all of it. Over all of it for you. So in the name of Jesus, be free. Be free. Be free. You are free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And you are free this morning. You are free. I know I keep saying that word over and over, but I just, you are free. You are free. You are not held by the bonds of your sin. You are free. I thank you, Jesus, for your victory. For your victory, Father God, that we don't have to fight. All we have to do is be obedient. God, may we just come back more refreshed, more ready to worship you, freed from the things that have held us. And then God, the second thing I pray over every person in this room is that you would go out with the victory that God has for you. That you are an overcomer, that you are called, that you are chosen, that he handpicked you and that he has a purpose for you and for your life. And he wants to use you. So may he speak to you this week of the things he has for you. We just love you, Lord, in your name. Amen.